We're in Isaiah chapter 57 today. And for you, um, for you guys that are here on a regular basis, we're going to do this different this morning. So I'm just going to tell you we're going to do it different. Um, I'll go ahead and apologize to those of you who love things to be done decently and in order. You love outlines. You love alliteration. You love to hear me say point number one, point number two, and point number three. I am sorry. But I'm not going to do that this morning. Um, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what God has to say in Isaiah 57. And at the end of this whole thing, we're trying to get to the bottom of this question. How does God deal with his sons and daughters when they backslide? That's what we're trying to get at. When a son or a daughter of God gets out of God's will... When they get rebellious, when they get hard, when they get calloused, when um, God's been trying to get them to repent and they're not repenting. What does God do? What what does he have to say when you and I get out of his will? Now, I I want you to know before we go any further, I can identify with all this. I have been on numerous occasions the backslidden one. On numerous occasions, I have gotten out of God's plan, um, out of God's will. There's been times it has been my heart that has been calloused, and there's been times that I have bowed up my chest, and I have said, I'm going to do it my way. There's been those times that I have been the backslidden one, and it might be this morning that you're here and you're the backslidden one, and already in your heart, you might be saying, that's me. But let me tell you something else. You can be here this morning and be the backslidden one and not even know it. Because at the real heart of being backslidden is pride. It's just pride. And many times the person who is out of God's will, the son or daughter of God, now keep in mind, I'm talking about real sons and daughters of God, who get out of God's will and they get hard and they get callous. Many times they're the last person to even recognize it because pride says, that's not me. I mean, how many times have you ever heard a message and hearing the word of God preached, you have thought in your mind, boy, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. I'm going to get a CD of that, and I'm going to pass it on. Okay, I appreciate that, all right. You can do that. But listen, I I think God wants us, wants me, wants you to to hear this message. And so I I don't know how to organize it in a way that's going to win any points in in a preaching class. We're just going to go through this chapter and try to be as honest as we possibly can be with the Word of God. Is that fair enough? We're going to be just as honest. I'm going to try to interpret this this chapter as honestly as I know how. And we're just going to see what God has to say. Um, But but if there is one verse that that we're going to focus on, uh, eventually, it's verse number 18. Okay? So in Isaiah chapter 57, verse number 18, here's the verse that we're going to look at. The verse says, you can read it with me, and I hope you brought your Bibles. Certainly today, you're going to get a lot more out of what we're about to do if you have in front of you a copy of God's Word. I want to encourage you, bring God's Word with you. 
Um, if you don't, I'm going to try to help you get it, but you're going to get it a lot more if you've got a, a copy of God's Word in front of you. Isaiah 57, verse 18. Here it is, folks. Here's the key. God says, I have seen His ways, but I will heal Him. I have seen His ways. God is talking about His Son. Um, God calls Israel his son. One place calls him his firstborn, not a reference to Jesus, but he said, this is my son. This passage is talking about me. I'm a child of God. It's talking about most of you. You're a child of God. And God says, I have seen your ways. Listen, if there's anybody here who thinks for a moment that God does not see and understand everything about you, you are foolishly mistaken. Every thought that goes through your head, God says, I, I see that. I know you. I know you. God knows who in this building meant anything that we have sung so far. God knows if you really meant it, if it was coming from your heart, or you're just following words on the screen. God says, I know that. Don't you think I don't know that? God knows who really is here and, and who's already on the golf course in their mind. God, God knows this. He's God. We're his children. He says, I, I, I know, I, I have seen, I have known his ways. Oh, how we like to hide, how we like to hide what we call our shortcomings, don't we? I mean, everything. I, I got out of my truck the other day in the parking lot, and I was walking from my truck to the back door, and the toe of my right shoe caught that pavement, and I start stumbling around. And the first thought that runs through my mind is, who just saw that? Who just saw me? And then the second thing I did, I thought, I'll make it look like I was trying to do that, so I started skipping how dumb is that? Why? Because I don't want anybody to see. And when it comes to life, we don't want anybody to know that we have issues. You've got issues. I've got issues. And you can hide them from a lot of people. But you can't hide them from the one who made you and knows you. And if you're a child, you can't hide it from your father God. He says, I know him. I have seen his ways. Now, here's what's interesting. Let's just look at these ways that God says, I know my son. And in verse number one, God says, let me describe him. Here's what I know about him, really. Verse number one, the righteous man perishes and no one takes it to heart. And what God just said there, God says, I know my son. He's apathetic. Care less. There's people going through all kinds of issues. Good, righteous men are perishing. My son acts like he doesn't even care. No man takes it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. Now, if, if you want to know what God is pointing out, he's pointing out the apathy of his children. They don't really care. Verse number two, he enters into peace. They rest in their beds, each one who has walked in his upright way. 
uh, God says, at least those righteous men who are perishing, even though my, my children seem to not care, and at least the righteous man, when he dies, enters into a time of rest. Verse number three is just shocking. But come here, you sons of a sorceress. Come here, you sons of a witch. Offspring of an adulterer and a prostitute. Now, here's what's, this is why it, this blows my mind. God is addressing his children. Can I just be frank? God says, come here, those of you that act like you were raised by a prostitute. Not by me. Verse 4, against whom do you jest? Against whom do you open wide your mouth and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of rebellion, offspring of deceit? What's this, guys? God says to his son, who are you judging? Who are you wagging your tongue about? You're slandering who? You're talking about who? You're running who down? You? God says, are you kidding me? I know your ways. I know your heart. I know your thoughts. I know your attitude. I know your actions. I know your behavior. I know your sin. And you're talking about who? You stick out your tongue? Verse 5. Who inflame yourselves among the oaks under every luxuriant tree? Who slaughter the children in the ravines? Now, you talk about graphic. It is true that the Israelites, God's chosen people, had backslidden to the point that they now were engaging and practicing in pagan religions that included child sacrifice. There it is. And it's easy for an American culture in this day and time, it's easy for an American generation of Christians like us to read verse 5 and say, well, that gets, at least that's one that gets me off the hook. In churches all across this nation today, there will be children in the nurseries and children in the preschool and children in the children's department who are being sacrificed, maybe not physically, but they're being sacrificed on some altar of something because mom and dad are pursuing something other than God. The American dream is not always as dreamy as we think it should be. And kids get left in the wake. And people say, oh, but they're resilient. And God would say, oh, but get real. These are God's children that he's talking about. I know my son. He's apathetic. I know my son. He's judgmental. I know my son. He acts like he's raised by a prostitute. I know my son. He sacrifices the offspring of the wound that I blessed him with. Verse 6, among the smooth stones on the ravine is your portion. They are your lot. Even to them you have poured out a drink offering. You've made a grain offering. Shall I relent concerning these things? You want me to act like I don't even see it? 
Upon a high and lofty mountain, you've made your bed. Now, the key word in these next verses is the word bed because what God's going to do is God's going to also say, and I know about your sexual immorality. Upon a high and lofty mountain, you've made your bed. You also went up there to offer sacrifice behind the door and the doorpost. You've set up your sign, indeed, far removed from me. You've uncovered yourself. You got naked. You uncovered yourself and have gone up and made your bed wide. You have made an agreement for yourself with them. You have loved their bed. You've looked on their manhood. And God is describing his own kids. Verse 9, you've journeyed to the king with oil, you've increased your perfumes, you've sent your envoys a great distance, you've made them go down to Sheol. God says, boy, have you ever pursued pleasure. You have pursued one pleasure after another, and you've gone to great lengths to do it. Verse 10, and you were tired out by the length of your road, yet you did not say it is hopeless. Folks, this is just as practical as it absolutely gets. And it is just as relevant as it has ever been. Because God says, there's a bunch of my kids that are wearing themselves out, pursuing one pleasure after another pleasure, hoping to find something that will satisfy, and nothing ever does. Remember we looked last week at Isaiah 55. Why do you spend your money? Why do you toil and labor for what never satisfies? But notice here, but they never get to the point that they say, it's hopeless. No. In fact, you did not say it is hopeless. You found renewed strength. Therefore, you did not faint. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So they did. Of whom were you worried and fretful when you lied and did not remember me? Nor give me a thought. Was I not silent even for a long time? So you did not fear me? God says, I looked at you in your backslidden rebellion. I'd sent a prophet. I'd, I, I, I had, I've chastised you. I've disciplined you. You've experienced judgment, and yet you've just kept on. And God says, so for a while, this is what God did. God said, I just left you alone. I just shut up. And I shut up. And when I shut up, you just said, well, God really must not be here. And you forgot all about me. Verse 12. I'll declare your righteousness in your deeds, but they will not profit you. Now, now you got to understand what that, those righteousness and deeds are. God says, I know my son. Just as soon as I start getting on to him, he's going to come in here and tell me how good he is. He's going to start telling me, well, you know how much I give and you know what my, my, my church attendance records are. And, and he's going to march in here and he's going to start telling me all these good religious things that he does. And he thinks I'm going to be impressed with them. God says, let me just save you the time. Before you come in here and tell me everything you've done, let me tell you that I already know everything you've done. And here it is. And I'm not impressed 
Because I'm not looking at what you've done. I'm looking at your heart. Do you hear this? I'm looking at your heart. So God said, let me just go ahead and recite for you how many Sundays in a row you attended. Let me tell you how much money you put down on your income tax statements that you gave last year. I'll go ahead and do all that stuff for you, and I'm not impressed by it. It will not profit you anything. Verse 13, when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. Your idols, but the wind will carry all of them up. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me will inherit the land and will possess my holy mountain. For the first time in this chapter, God speaks about there will be those who will come to God and, and they will be blessed, okay? And there's a different group of people here that, that, are, that are going to be impacted. They're going to change. Verse 14, and it will be said, God says, through Isaiah. One day, somebody is going to say, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. In other words, God's saying, there's coming a day that my people are going to come home. There's coming a day that my children are going to, like my dad used to say, straighten up and fly right. It's coming. Now, historically, God has said to these people, you're going to end up in in, in Babylon, in captivity, in exile. Remember, I'm going to raise Cyrus up, who's a pagan Persian political leader, and y'all going to get all tore out of your frame about that, God said. But I'm going to use this, this pagan political leader that doesn't even know me to bring deliverance to you that you end up in as a result of my hand of judgment, and you're going to come home. So God reiterates, there's coming a day that somebody's going to say, build up, build up. I'm going to make sure when you start traveling this great massive people movement, when my children come back to me, I'm going to make a way easy. Build up the road. Take every obstacle out of the way. Verse 15, for thus says the high and exalted one. God says, this is who I am. Unlike you. Like the son, unlike the daughter, this is me, God says. I'm the high one. I'm the exalted one. I'm the one who lives forever. I'm the one whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and a holy place. Okay, let's learn something. This next line. But I'll also dwell with the contrite and the lowly of spirit. In order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God, holy, high, exalted, perfect, I dwell with broken people. That's the point. I dwell with broken people. That's what the word contrite means. I dwell with the humble. I, I dwell with those who say, woe is me. And here's the problem up to this point. Up to this point, God says, I know his ways, and he's proud. I know his ways, he's full of pride. 
I know his ways, that his, his immorality and, and what he does with his children and the way he wags his tongue at everybody else and never looks in the mirror. I know his prideful ways. And God says, and that's the problem. There's no fellowship with me and my children when they're proud. But, but I do abide and dwell in fellowship with the humble, with the broken, with the meek. Jesus said the same thing, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are they that mourn. For they'll be comforted. Blessed are the what in spirit? Poor in spirit. That's who's going to get the kingdom. Verse 16. Guys, this really gets interesting. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit, this isn't his spirit, this is the spirit of man. This is the spirit of the son. For the spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath which gives life, the breath of those whom I have made. And, and, and here's what God just said. God says, I'm not going to be angry, and I'm not going to wear him out forever. I'm not just going to keep <laughs> beating the daylights out of him. Because if I gave him what he deserved, and if I treated him like what he's acting like, it would kill him. Oh, how I see me here. How I see me here. And I think, God, if you did in terms of chastising and discipline, and if you would, if you wear me out like you should wear me out in my pride and disobedience, it would kill me. And I don't know if you see yourself there or not. I don't know if you say, well, that's kind of a harsh thing to say. I'm not sure I'm, I'm that bad. Well, if you don't think you're that bad, let's just start reading Isaiah 57 all over again. And when we get to the point that you want to stand up and tell God just how righteous you are, go ahead. God says, I'm not going to be angry forever. Jeff's spirit would grow faint before me, and his breath would leave him. Watch this. Because, <laughs> this is incredible. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry, and I struck him. Uh, please understand this. Okay, Let me make this crystal clear. When, when we start talking about God and who he is and what he's like and what he does, there comes a point where man, with man's language and man's understanding, we, we have to say things about God that we, that we can't get exactly right, and we use our language to kind of express it. But you need to know this about God. God is never, never pleased and delighted. He is angry with the, the rebellion and the hard-heartedness and the backsliddenness of his children. Yet when God strikes us, his kids, it's always out of love. Always, 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 always. God disciplines. The New Testament teaches this. The New Testament says God disciplines because he loves us. And it says if God doesn't discipline his children, it only means you're not one of his. So let's make this clear. But once we make that clear, see what I just said. God said, because 
of your disobedience, I struck you down. I knocked you down. But let's read the rest of this verse. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face. I was angry. And he went on turning away in the way of his heart. You talk about arrogance. God knocks you down and you get up and bow up and say, I didn't hurt. I tried that once with Jerry Letko. Just once. Made up my mind. I'm not crying. I'm a teenager. He thinks that belt's going to make me cry. It's not going to happen. So I leaned over that bed, embarrassed. I'm a teenager still getting spankings. And I got it. Boy, I didn't cry. And I turned around and I looked at him and I said, that didn't hurt. Never, ever, ever do that. And yet God says, this is my children. I struck him down. I brought my disciplinary, loving hand against him, and I know it hurt. And he got right back up, and in this pride and arrogance, bowed up against me and kept moving in the way, scripturally, of his willful heart. Talk about a battle of minds. Parents, you ever been there with a child? I know what I would have done. At least I think I do. And then we have verse 18. I have seen his ways. I know him. Everything about him. His pride. His arrogance. His stubbornness. His will. And so here's what I'm going to do. What? This is incredible. This is just incredible. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to heal him. Tell me that's not incredible. I'm going to heal him. You can get as sick as a dog physically, and there's people in this town you can go to, and God has gifted them, and they can diagnose you, and they can, they can prescribe the right thing, or they can perform surgery on you, and there are people who can heal you really of physical illnesses, even though in my book, at the end of the day, the credit's still going to go to God. But let me tell you something about spiritual sickness. There's only one who can cure that which is spiritually ill. Only one. And it is, it is God. I cannot heal anyone in this room spiritually. Furthermore, you can't heal yourself if you're spiritually ill. 
And sometimes, let's just, let's just again, I, what I want to do is I want to be true to this passage of Scripture, okay? I'm not dealing with everything here. I'm just dealing with this one. Let's just be true. I think God wants us to know that sometimes we say to people who are in all kinds of ways of sin, we say to them, you need to heal yourself. You can't heal yourself. That's why God says, I know his ways and I will heal him in fact i will i verse 18 again i will heal him i will lead him and it's i who will restore comfort to him and to his mourners you say what does that mean it means this if if you know somebody that's a child of god that's backslidden and you love them and you want to see them come out of their backslidden ways but they're not out of their backslidden ways it can break your heart did you get that let's make it plainer parents you got a son or a daughter who really is a child of god really is now this is key they're born again and they're in a backslidden condition it can break your heart that they're in a backslidden condition it can just break your heart and yet God said, but I'm going to heal my children. And not only is it going to be good for them, it's going to be good for those who are mourning their backsliddenness. Did you get that? I hope, I hope so. And then verse 19. Whoa. God says, creating the praise of lips. That word creating is the same word used in Genesis 1 where it says, in the beginning God created. Creation is something only God can do. We're not talking about making, we're talking about creating. And what God is going to do is he's going to take this person that is his child, that is arrogant, that is full of pride, that is, that is sexually immoral, that, that's sacrificing children, that's judgmental and apathetic and so forth and so on. And God says, not only am I going to heal him, but I will create, I will make sure that there is praise coming from his lips. Peace, peace to him, who's far, to him who's near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. I will hear him. Just keep being honest. He does not say, I will offer him healing. He just doesn't say that. God says, I'm going to heal him. Let me say this where I can just get it out now that it's in my mind. If you are a child of God, God is going to heal you. I don't know when that healing will come, but he will heal you. It may be in the next month. It may be in the next year. It may be when you step into glory itself, but we're going to get healed. And the greatest healing any of us can experience is that at the spiritual level. Oh, I look forward to heaven as much as anybody. And the older I get, the more I look forward to it. That's just the truth. I mean, when I was a young man, I liked heaven and all. I just wasn't ready to go there. Man, my age, come on. It's okay. And the greatest thing about it, you can have the streets of gold. You can have pearly gates. You can have your new body. You can have all that. You know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to a heart and a mind and a soul that doesn't even have a smidgen of spiritual illness or sickness. That's what I'm looking forward to. Not even tempted by any temptation that might be there. I'm looking forward to being that kind of well.
God says, I'll create praise, give him peace. I will heal him. But this, is, this is just interesting. Verse 20, but the wicked, I'm thinking, but the wicked. I thought we'd been talking about the wicked. There's another, really? Different group of people. But the wicked, they're like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up refuse and mud, and there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. Here, here, here it is. The question is, how does God bring about this healing? The problem is pride. That's it. The problem is pride. Arrogance is hardness. The problem is there's no humility. There's no brokenness. And that leads to all this other stuff. But the real issue is just pride. And God says, I'm going to heal that person. So how does God... Ultimately, God's got to humble this person, right? God's got to humble. I'm going, to, I'm going to dwell with him, give him peace, so I've got to humble him. How does God humble people? Somebody says, I'll tell you how he does. God brings them to their knees. What happens when that doesn't work? As we've just read. I struck him down. And he got right back up. And if I struck him down again, he'd get right back up. And if I keep striking him down, we've already read, God said, he would die. So what's our God to do? Okay, stay with me one more minute. Because there was one that God didn't let up on. He kept striking. Until he struck him to death. Then he lifted, he lifted him up. It's Jesus. This is the gospel. This is you talking about being humbled. Oh yeah, there's been times I, I have been humbled by the by the strict hand of God. But and I'm gonna use some church language, and I'm sorry, I, I I don't know any other language right now off the top of my head. I'd have to think about it. Some of you will get it, and some of you won't. And I'm going to use some church language. I have never, ever been more humbled and broken and contrite and submissive than when I have found myself at the church language, what we call at the foot of the cross. And when I just get this image, it happened with the old rugged cross the other night. And song after song after song is the perfect Lamb of God dying for me, taking my place. And I realize... Oh, woe is me. That's what humbles me. Not God beating me to death, but God beating him to death for me. And listen, if that, I don't know, if, if that somewhere, somehow, some way doesn't humble you as a child of God, then you're not a child of God. If that, if that, if that doesn't. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll, I'll draw all men to myself. And if you can't be broken, if you're not like a, that one of those thieves who said, remember me. Or the Roman soldier who said, surely this man was the son of God. But for me, a son, when I just see the father's love in spite of my rebellion... I'm going to ask our, our worship leaders to come back and, 
we're going to close. There's, there's a song we used in that, in that, um, that first Peter series that, that we went through <clears throat> that just says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. Now, I want a time to open up an altar, maybe a time to come and say, God, I just humbly come before you. Maybe it's a time to come and say, God, thank you. This message encourages me, and if you're a child of God, it should encourage you. Because if it doesn't say anything else, it at least says this. God does not give up on his children. God does not give up on his children. Never will. He can discipline, spank them, but he's not going to kill them. Because we've had a substitute that took our place for that. God says, I'm going to heal him. I don't know when it'll come, but I'm going to heal him. This is good news for a child of God. It might mean some of you need to come and say, God, you've been, you've been chastising me, disciplined me, and right now is the time I need to stop. And God, right now, I really see Jesus, and I see him high, and Lord, I see what you've done. And um, it's breaking my heart. And it's then that we experience this presence and this peace. So, Father... Show us how you would have us to respond. You've told us right here in your word that your word does not return void. It always finds its mark. And I pray that that, um, you'll be glorified by, by the mark that your word has found today and by how we respond to it. Holy Spirit, lead us now. In your name we pray. Amen.